Christos Anisti. Christ is risen. So we say this phrase because the church now, uh, because it's the third Sunday of Holy Resurrection, after the resurrection, it's a time between the uh, resurrection and the promise and anticipation of the Holy Spirit. So we read this story of the Samaritan woman, and it's not the only time we read uh, this story. Does anyone else know when we read the story of the Samaritan woman? During Holy Week? Yes, we read three times. Once during uh, Holy Week on the fourth Sunday of Lent, and one on the Pentecost as well, and today as well. So one may ask, why do we read the story of the Samaritan woman during the time when we celebrate the resurrection of Christ? And we'll get to that as we progress. So the transformation of the Samaritan woman's an amazing story of repentance. Uh, the, it's one of the more amazing stories in the Bible of repentance. The story begins with Christ being thirsty and asks for a drink of water. Um, so therefore he stops at the well and just simply asks, give me, woman, give me a drink. This short dialogue only has six responses from the Samaritan woman. But during those six responses, you can see her progress slowly from the worldly life and the lustful life that she was living in to a life of uh, uh, great enlightenment and, and she becomes like an evangelist preaching to the whole city of Samaria in a very short dialogue. So let's go through these six steps, uh, these six responses. But in each one you see her increasing. First she says at the, at the request of Christ to have a drink of water, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? So Christ, in response to this, does not answer the question. Um, he begins to turn her attention from the worldly water to the spiritual water, which is, of course, the Holy Spirit that we would receive later. Um, if you knew the gift of God, he says, and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So he does not address the political situation at the time that the Jews and the Samaritans, they don't talk to each other. She, he doesn't deal with her about this petty issue. Instead, he tries to turn her attention to something greater. Those of you who have little children, um, one of them, when like, for example, your three-year-old is begging for candy uh, and, and crying to the point that you won't give it to them, you can't dialogue with them, right? You can't explain to them how, you know, these cavities will, will start showing up in your mouth, if in your stomach, you'll get diabetes. You can't dialogue with this three-year-old, right? Um, because it's beyond their comprehension. So what do you do? You, and only people with children will understand this, you give them a distraction, right? You say, don't worry about this, here, turn off something on the TV or we'll give them our phone, unfortunately or will you know, turn their attention to something that they think is much better so that the dialogue on the petty issues will just go away. God oftentimes deals with us like this. He, we ask for Him things and we know that it's very passionate for us, like this three-year-old for candy, right? We're, we're like dying for it, we ask for it, we cry for it, but in the end, it's maybe something that is petty and not something that's good for us, so God does not address us directly. But instead, he turns our attention to things much greater, and even though he hears every one of our prayers, he may not grant our prayers, but he gives us something even uncomparably better. So he does not respond to her in this. Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well? And this is uh, her response. 
So again, now she's drawing upon the, the church fathers, right? Her father Jacob. So she's increasing a little bit more. But again, she's speaking about the worldly water and are you greater than our father Jacob? You know, she's still ranking things. Um, though she now begins to bring up the saints of old, she still does not answer, Christ still does not answer her question, right? The second response, he still does not respond, but gives her something completely different, which says, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, and whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. So then she responds, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst or come here to draw. So little by little, she's increasing in her spiritual understanding. Uh, now in this third response, she asks for the living water. She still thinks it's a material water, but she acknowledges, she's increasing now, she's acknowledging that this water is better than the water that she's drawing with. Um, and that obviously if that water is better that he is providing, then obviously she answers her own question that Jesus, of course, is greater than Jacob. But again, Jesus does not directly answer her third response, um, uh, but rather asks her very abruptly, you know, when she says, give me this water. She, he abruptly asks her, go, call your husband and come here. So her fourth response says, I have no husband. Christ now responds directly to this, right? When she shows a little bit of humility, even though it's not a co complete confession of her previous life, uh, she begins a, a small level of humility, and Christ now responds directly to her, because she's now increasing in her spiritual state uh, in this short dialogue. So the conversation went from seeking this water that would allow her to not come and draw anymore and give her a little bit of rest to an acknowledgement that she has five husbands. She didn't get annoyed that Christ called her out on her uh, improper lifestyle, but she continued, uh, she didn't run away, she didn't uh, you know, get annoyed with him or, she, or blush because of her sins, but she continued the dialogue with Christ. But now she's starting to understand that this is not a regular man, right? Because he knew these like he was like a prophet. He understood the hidden and unrevealed things in her personal life that only a handful of people knew. He brought it out to light. So now she's starting to understand who he is. In her fifth response, she says, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Sensitivity in our spiritual life is very important. There are many miracles in our lives that we may see, or we may not notice, many uh, things to be thankful for, many gentle reminders and rebukes because of things that are not proper in our life that God sends us, many beautiful reflections that we miss out on because we lack this spiritual sensitivity. Consequently, God may use a little bit of a stronger reminder. You know, sometimes something might happen in our life that causes us to call upon God in a more fervent manner and to seek Him more diligently. But we don't have to wait for that. If we train ourselves to be more spiritually sensitive to God and, and look at the amazing things around us every day, we'll, we might be able to notice uh, God's presence in a more clear way. So here the Samaritan woman does, does show, though, that great spiritual sensitivity, wisdom. She shows faith and humbleness at the Lord's gentle rebuke. You have five husbands. 
we should react that same way as the Samaritan woman, even maybe even proactively asking Christ to reveal those things in our hearts that um, need correction. But she asks, she continues to ask where one ought to worship. So she's now perceiving that he is a prophet, which is a, a really big step. But then she asks, you Jews say you should worship in Jerusalem, us Samaritans here on this mountain. What do you say about that? So he responds saying that, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in that mountain worship the Father, and that God is truth, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. In other words, it really is, yes, those were days of old where the Jews did worship in Jerusalem, and, and you guys worshiped on the mountains, but the time is coming now, and now is that time where it doesn't matter where you worship. It matters that you worship Him in spirit and in truth. In other words, in um, spirit, in other words, not earthly, like it doesn't matter where you worship, and in truth and purity, so that we worship God in spiritual manners and in, um, and in purity. Her sixth and final response says, I know that the Messiah is coming. The Samaritans who only believed in the first five books of the Bible, by the way, the, the ones written by Moses, there's prophecies about the Messiah in those five books. So she knew that the Messiah was coming. So Christ responded, I am He. First, He reveals to her that you must worship God in spirit and in truth. This is a very lofty, a very high level of doctrine that He's, that he's given to this Samaritan woman, right? Things that we benefit from today. And then He tells her, frankly, and He hasn't done that to a lot of people in the story of the New Testament. But to her, he tells her, I am the Messiah, very plainly and very clearly for her. So she went from this sinful, ignorant stage to an enlightened and repentant stage and with a simple and short dialogue of Christ. So what happened afterwards is amazing. She went and preached like an evangelist to a whole city. Imagine if you preached to the whole city of San Diego. She preached to the whole city of Samaria and was the cause of conversion for a myriad of people in that city. And it's all because we remember at this time the gift of the Holy Spirit. So when Christ says, I will give you this water that is, uh, will spring forth into everlasting life and you will never thirst again, what is this water symbolizing? Water symbolized in this story is um, symbolizing the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has many names and symbols in the Old and New Testament. Uh, we call the Holy Spirit the Comforter, the Spirit of Truth, the Seal of the Believers, the Teacher, the Witness. We also have many symbols of Him, such as the Dove, like in the Baptism of Christ. I think you can see it here in this icon. Um, the Anointing Oil, we, we say that um, the Holy Spirit is like the wind. Um, we we know that he is a symbol like we, there were symbols in the Old Testament that of a cloud, uh, the breath of life, is the symbol of the Holy Spirit. But also we see uh, the fire is used as a symbol of Christ. I mean, a symbol of the Holy Spirit. We see that in the Pentecost, um, and we also, of course, see water as a symbol of the Holy Spirit, and. Um, as St. John later in the Gospels says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. So the symbolic way of describing the Holy Spirit describes the Holy Spirit's work in our life. 
So for example, fire, when we say the Holy Spirit is like a fire, um, it, it, what are the qualities of fire? It's zealous, right? When the Holy Spirit is active in our life, we're very zealous. We're warm to ourselves and you know, first we get warmth from the Holy Spirit and then we give warmth to others. We uh, have power to destroy sin, to purge sin in our life because the Holy Spirit is present. Water, its qualities are a little bit different but also just as powerful in describing uh, the Holy Spirit. Cleansing, the Holy Spirit cleanses. It's very gentle but it's very effective. We know for example if you were to ask somebody, you know, what shapes the course of the, is it the mountains that shapes the course of a river, or does the river shape the mountains? We, at first glance, think, oh, of course, the mountains shape the course of the river, but over time, it's really the, the river that shapes the mountain over perseverance and over a slow, uh, gentle, and patient uh, correction. The Holy Spirit constantly works in our life, even though we feel like our heart is like a rock that can't be moved. Remember that even water over time uh, shapes the rock uh, through erosion and through uh, patience. So we know that the Holy Spirit's working in our life to bring us to a better uh, place. Uh, water is also nourishment and refreshment. These are all symbols of the Holy Spirit. So both sinners and saints thirst. Um, one thirsts for, uh, to fulfill the lusts of the flesh, the other thirsts to fulfill the, uh, the spiritual life and the divine knowledge. So once the Samaritan woman, though, realized the superiority of the water that Christ gave, she, offered, she began to thirst for it and, and ask for it. Hey, what is this water that you're bringing that will give us eternal life and that will cause us never to be thirst, will always be fulfilled, and we'll always be um, nourished. And this is the Holy Spirit that we are anticipating for. That anticipation that the Samaritan woman showed because of the gentle discussion with Christ, this is what we should be feeling during this time uh, leading up to the Pentecost, which is in a couple weeks. Psalm 34 says, O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in Him. She tasted firsthand and couldn't help but to preach. Um, we know that the apostles preached to the whole world and this lady was not even told to preach to the, to the city of Samaria. She couldn't help but preach. It's like if you watch a sports event or if you have like a, um, uh, a singer that you really like, an artist, you can't help but to share it with those whom you're friends with, to your, your counterparts. Like the very next Monday, at the cooler, you're going to talk about that awesome football game or basketball game that you saw over the weekend. You can't help but to talk about the Lakers. Well, we can't talk about the Lakers. They haven't been good for a while. But uh, you can't help but to speak good things about the things you've seen, right? The champions that you might have seen and the amazing things they've done. You want to talk about that. The apostles didn't need that command to go preach to the whole world. They couldn't contain themselves like the Samaritan woman. Once she experienced Christ, you can't contain yourself anymore. You want to go and tell the whole world about it. During this time that we um, celebrate right now after the resurrection, before the Pentecost, we know that Christ stayed with the apostles for 40 days. What did he do during these 40 days? We, we know he did approximately five things. The first thing, he opened to them the meaning of scriptures. We see the same things he did with the Samaritan woman. Um, he opened her their understanding of the apostles' minds with the scriptures. Um, 
uh, as Luke 24 says, then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. We have to always ask Christ to uh, show us that understanding. He brought, number two, he brought the things, uh, remembrance of the things that he did during the three-year ministry. Number three, he taught them some of the elements of church tradition, like the liturgy. Um, we know that, for example, the liturgy was what the early Christians practiced before scripture was written. The, the last scripture was written around the year 100 AD. So what was happening between 33 AD after the resurrection to 100 AD? Well, the Christians, they only had the liturgy. And the liturgy was written by the apostles just like the New Testament was written by the apostles. So it's very interesting if you walk into a Catholic church or a Eastern Orthodox church, you see very, very similar elements of the liturgy in their churches as in our church. Like greet one another with a holy kiss, um, meet and right, meet and right, truly indeed is meet and right. Those things that are in the, the, our liturgy, the framework, the skeleton of the liturgy is the same among these very traditional churches. So what does that show you except that there was a common beginning? And that common beginning has its roots here in the 40 days when Christ taught the apostles and then the apostles went all over the world to start these liturgies. And that's what the Christians had before our scripture was fully rooted among the people. He gave them, number four, he gave them priestly authority to forgive sins uh, through confession. You'll notice that the priest during confession will blow on you. Um, that, wh where did that tradition come from? Well, when he gave this authority to the priest, he breathed on them. He did something very peculiar. He didn't lay his hand on them. He didn't just simply speak, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. He didn't put their hand. He breathed on them. And again, that, that um, gift of the Holy Spirit, right, is breath is a symbol of breath. So that spirit of Christ, right, that, that breath of Christ, that he breathed onto St. Mark, who was in the room, St. Mark breathed onto Ananias, and so forth, through that breath, that breath traveling through the ages, through the millennia, to Pope Shenouda, who breathed on Ambassadopian, who breathed on, um, you know, myself and any other priest that you may encounter, so that that same breath that you get during confession is the breath of Christ dating back to the very first century. It's a very nice gift that we have in our church. And then finally he gave that great command, again, to go and preach to the whole world. He didn't have to give that command, but he's like, okay, it's okay if you want to go preach, because they couldn't contain themselves, right? So they went out and preached to the whole world. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. So he gave similar commands on a smaller scale to the prophets, like he gave to Moses um, or to uh, Jeremiah. But Moses responded saying, Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. And Jeremiah said, Ah, Lord, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a youth. So you see the big difference between the evangelists, the apostles, and even the Samaritan woman who encountered Christ. They did not hesitate or object, even though the apostles were tasked with much with a, with a much greater task, not just to one person, or to a pharaoh, or to a tyrant, but to the whole world, to the strongest army in, on earth to that point, they preached, and, to, and they converted 
the whole world and idolatry fell that was around for thousands of years because of them. Here the Samaritan woman not even didn't not even ask to preach but was like an evangelist and preached to an entire city. They encountered Christ firsthand and also um, were able to taste his power firsthand. So when when we experience Christ firsthand, we get that amazing uh, power as well, and we also want to share. Um, and that is an amazing gift that our church has as well, that you may know the certainty of the things which you were instructed, as St. Luke says in Luke 1, chapter 1, verse 1. Acts 1, 3. To whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs. And in Acts 2, this Jesus God has raised up, of which we all we are all witnesses. And in Corinthians 15, St. Paul says, For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen by Kephas and by the Twelve. And after that he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that he was seen by James, then all the apostles, then last of all he was seen by me also as one born out of due time. So St. Paul also was a witness. So this is a blessed, this spirit of assurance and peace and gladness that the apostles and that the Samaritan woman shared through experience with Christ that spirit exists in our church today. Um, it was transferred uh, to the church to this day. And it grows even more and more as we begin to experience Christ personally and have a, a personal relationship with Him um, and the power of His resurrection. Once we really taste that, we become like these evangelists and like the Samaritan woman. Uh, so that may this gladness and peace and assurance and power of the resurrection be with us all. And glory be to God forever. Amen. We want to thank you so much for listening to St. Basil's podcast. We hope that you have gained spiritually from our remarkable speakers, and we appreciate your support towards this podcast. St. Basil American Coptic Orthodox Church is looking to purchase a home, and we would love for you to be a part of our community. We are looking to raise funds towards this novel mission, Orthodoxy in an American Context within the San Diego area. You may donate online through our website, www.stbasil.net that's www.stbasil.net or click on the link below and it will take you to our donations page you may also mail in your contribution at the address located on our website we thank you for any contribution and may our lord jesus christ always bless your heart and home